welcome once again to Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. My name is Eric Metz, and today we're going to be talking about the 1993 classic Tombstone. Now, I recently had the chance to finally see, see this. I haven't seen it uh, before, so this was my first viewing, and overall thoughts on it are it's pretty damn good. Um, I'm not the biggest Western guy out there. There's a lot of Westerns out there. Not a lot, but there's enough Westerns out there that I have seen before that I find the Western genre really interesting and I enjoy it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But as I said, it came out in 1993 and it currently has a 73% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is just criminal. I think this movie easily deserves something higher than that, easily in the 80s. This is this was, as I said, this was a fantastic film. I don't know why it did so, so low. One of the reasons maybe why it did so low as well, because when it first came out, it had a budget of only $25 million, but it only grossed 56. So it barely made any money whatsoever when you tell talk about uh, budgeting costs, advertising costs, and uh, costs that had to be returned to the movie theaters. It probably didn't make any money if 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 barely anything which is just a crying shame uh the cast alone the cast alone and it should have bumped it up to something a lot higher than that um i mean when you have a cast that stars kurt Ru- kurt russell as wyatt earp sam elliott as virgil earp bill pat paxton as morgan earp and val kilmer as doc holiday now i'm going to talk a little bit about val kilmer's portrayal of doc holiday later because it is something to be seen uh now these guys are the, are the Earp family plus Doc, who's their best friend, and uh, they're going up against the leaders of the cowboy clan or cowboy group, which was the group at the time, and they're the ones who are carrying red sashes around. That's kind of their tra- trademark, similar to Crips and Bloods and gangs and all, and all that stuff. They had red sashes, and that's how you could tell who was part of the cowboy gang. Uh, and the leaders of them were Powers Booth, who was Curly Bill, and Michael Bean, Johnny Ringo. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about Michael Bean simply because um, I never I never knew how big of a star he was in the 80s. Uh, growing up, I never really looked into films as much as I have over the last, I'd say, six or seven years. And uh, when you go through a lot of the action movies of the 80s and early 90s, Michael Bean is in almost every single one of them. This guy had a career that would, at one point, probably rival... Um, Stallones and Schwarzeneggers. Now I knew. Now he never led any of these films, but he was a key central part in all of these, and he was a pretty good actor in a lot of these too. So I don't know really what happened. I don't know why he fell off. There's probably some story out there that I'm not going into or I haven't re- read into, but uh, it's a shame because uh, Michael Bean was fantastic. He was great. He was great in this. He was one of their main bad, bad guys, and he was he was great. I want to see more. Now. If you think, wow, that's actually a pretty good cast, just wait till you hear some of the other names that are in this. Um, Dana Delaney, Paula Malkinson, Charlton Heston, and this is pre-kind of, he went on a war against against uh, gun regulation Charlton Heston, so this was before um, Columbine and everything like that. He was still part of the NRA, and I think he was still the leader of the NRA at that time, but um, he was it, it wasn't as big as it was... Um, in the following years. So he was still pre-kind of uh, divisive Charlton Heston, so a lot of people still liked him. Uh, Jason Presley, Stephen Lang, Thomas Hayden Church, Michael Rooker, Billy Bob Thornton, Billy Zane, Terry O'Quinn, and Frank Stallone. Just that cast alone was incredible. 
you would think like how much was the budget for all of these things like how much was the budget to pay for all these amazing actors but in 93 i guess a lot of these guys just weren't really doing a lot um terry o'quinn was the mayor of the tombstone um and billy zane was kind of this actor that had come into town to uh, portray to act in their local play because the town of tombstone is um, right now in basically resurgence so they're trying to get as big as as, as they can because of all the um, silver mi- mining that that's going on because this takes place after the civil war when uh, the great the great migrate west happened and a lot of people went out west to try and gain riches and tombstone was one of the biggest towns at that time to really build build up in the and um so he was the mayor of this uh, michael rooker and thomas hayden church were just lowly thugs um, they played parts in it uh, there were scenes that uh, they were able to give a lot of um sort of i guess you could say they they gave credence to scenes um very good Stephen lang was the i guess you could say the third third bad guy um when it came to this you know you had powers booth and michael bean as the leaders but Stephen lang was really the um third in command and again Stephen lang is one of those actors similar to michael bean that i really only found him which is a shame on me um during the avatar movies and when you go back to a lot of these old older movies Stephen lang is in the surprising a lot of them say with terry o'quinn these guys had huge careers before I got into really digging into films and, and movies and all that stuff. Because So, so I, again, I only know Stephen Lang from Avatar and I know Terry O'Quinn from Lost. But these guys had some incredible careers as, uh, as actors in the past. And Jason Priestley, I think 93. I'm pretty sure this was pre-90210. I think 90210 was about to come out, but Jason Priestley didn't really have any part in it. Charlton Heston had uh, a scene in it that really it didn't need to be in. It was more of like, a, hey, you know, here's Charlton Heston, one of the biggest actors in the history of film, and here he is in our movie. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton only had one scene in it, and to be honest, you if you didn't look at it and you didn't listen for, for the voice, you wouldn't have known it was Billy Bob Thornton. You just wouldn't have known. He's a lot... Um, he had a lot more weight, uh, like physically, he had a lot more physical weight on him in this scene. Um, it was, his hat, hat was covering a lot, a lot of his head, um, mustache, grease, everything on his face. So you really, if you didn't look at him, you wouldn't have known it was him. Frank Stallone, I was able to pick up right away. I mean, he looks like Frank, Frank Stallone. You put a mustache on Frank Stallone. That's okay. I still know that it's Frank, Frank Stallone. And, uh, so that, that was kind of, kind of fun. Part of the fun of this movie is um, just kind of going through and saying, oh, I remember you. Oh, I know you. Oh, you're in this, you're in this, you're in this, you're in this. And that's one of my favorite things about doing, uh, that's one of my favorite things to do when I go back to old films um, and just kind of see like whose career was still in the younger years compared to what what they are now or who's somebody that uh, you don't see too often, but they made it in this one. Uh, that's one of the, I, th- I think it's one of the best things to do when you go back to old films is just to kind of um, look and see who you can find, kind of like a Where's Waldo game. So that's the cast, and basically the story of Tombstone revolves around the Earp brothers who were U.S. Marshals in um, Kansas. Well, Wyatt Earp was a a U.S. Marshal in Kansas, and he kind of made a name for himself. Um, The other brothers were U.S. were lawmen as well, 
but Wyatt Earp was really the main focus. Everybody knows Wyatt Earp. Um, he's got this kind of mystique around his name that everybody kind of, when you hear Wyatt Earp, you think, oh, oh, oh no, it's like, I'm not going to mess with this guy. And that plays throughout the entire film. Just the name Wyatt Earp strikes fear in a lot of people. And they finally decided to put down arms, retire, and head out west. They want to follow everybody else going out west to try and make it rich. So they decide to go to the town of Tombstone, Arizona. And they try and make a living there. All three of them go away with their wives. And uh, you start to realize right off the bat that um, I think it's Paula Malkinson plays Wyatt Earp's wife. And you can tell that there's a bit of of ten- of tension just between the two of them. Um, you you at first you kind of I kind of thought that maybe she just she just didn't want to move. She was she was happy with the high life of Kansas City, and she kind of um, she didn't really want to move, and she kind of hated. Wyatt Earp for, or she was angry at Wyatt for making her move. That's kind of what uh, I felt like was the story going on. But as the story go, goes on, you find out that she ends up becoming, uh, she ends up being addicted to, I think it's opiate, and um, it kind of messes with messes with her brain and causes some real marital struggles, which is where Dana Delaney's care character comes in. And she's the kind of actress. She 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 comes to Tombstone with Billy Zane as this acting group to put on shows. And right off the bat, she sees Why Wyatt Earp and basically just falls for head over heels at first sight. Her words exactly were, um, "I need to get me one of those." So right off the bat, she's she's ready to go, and she pushes hard to get Wyatt Earp throughout this entire entire film. Um, now, the town of Tombstone is, as I said, it's one of the towns that they're really trying to build up. They really want to, they say, they want it, they, they think that in the next few years, they're going to be the next San Francisco, or they're going to be as big as San Francisco. That's kind of their goal, is they want, they, they want to grow. This place has three bars, banks, um, multiple streets. I mean, most Westerns, when you watch a Western, it's really just Main Street. You know, they go into town, town is... Main Street, and then everybody has their farms and their houses kind of outside of town. But town is really just one street. You got everything on each side, and that and that's it. Tombstone really gives you a good sense to know that there's multiple streets. And as soon as you start realizing that there's multiple streets in this town, you think, okay, this is a fairly big town. We're not just in some um, pokey old western town that you see in most western films. Where again, it's just Main Street, and that's it. No, this is a fairly big town that wants to become big they have um they have their own u.s mar marshal there uh they got two types of lawmen basically city law and state law and that comes into play a lot because the individual who plays the state law i'm forgetting the name it's not a u.s mar marshal but i forgot oh, damn i just watched this yesterday i'm and it's gonna come to me right 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 as right after this podcast and um he he plays multiple roles um, he's in, he's on multiple committees, so he's not just the state's lawman. He does he works on the housing and development committee. Um, does a whole bunch of other jobs. So he's got a lot of hats go going on. And as the movie goes on, you realize that this guy just uh, there's a reason why he's got all 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 these hats, and he seems to be happy. Now, the one thing about the city of Tombstone is it's extremely populated by the cowboy gang. Cowboy Clan, which, as I said earlier, is the clan that kind of they're they're the ones that wear the red 
sashes, and they're the ones who they're basically a cowboy gang. That's what they are. And uh, guns blade, guns firing, horses go in, rob, steal, kill, whatever they they can do. And because of, and because they're big in this town, they're the ones who basically fund a lot of what's going on. So a lot of the money that goes in and out of this town is because of this gang. Now it works good on it works well on one side and not so well on the other side. Now it works well for the city because there's a lot of money coming in in and out so they can grow. Unfortunately for the townspeople that live there, when you live in a town that's run by gangsters, it's not that safe. It's not that cozy. It's not that good to raise people out there. It's not that good to kind of bring a life, bring family, bring kids um, into it. It's not very good. And you can see that right off the bat. And one night... Curly Joe kind of gets a little bit too anxious at the at the local opium den and ends up killing the marshal. So now we have the city with no law. Again, you got the state's law, but he's not going to do anything cuz you you find out you find, you you tend to realize that he's he's in the pocket. He's part of them. And he's he, he likes the status quo where he is. He likes having all the money and all the leisure and all the luxuries that that he he can get now the mayor trying to convince the erp clan to say hey we really need you to take over sam elliott's character decides you know what i can't live i can't live in this town with so much crime going on i need to do something uh wide erp is really all about you know it's not my business i'm retiring it's all done i want to get out sam elliott's character virgil just can't he can't take it anymore he's done so he becomes the new city marshal. And right off the bat, there's tension because he's trying to bring law to this city where the previous where the previous marshal was more just trying to keep the peace. He's just like, okay, guys, you know what? You've had your fun. Give me your guns. You'll get in a few hours. Once it relaxes down, and then you can go about your, about your business. That was about as much as the old marshal did. Sam Elliott character, like every Sam Elliott's character, he's not taking that ish. He's not going to do that. And he causes problems straight off the bat. Causes problems so far off, off, off the bat that Bill Paxton's character, Morgan Earp, ends up joining too. And to the dismay of Wyatt, um, they end up becoming the new, I guess, uh, police of the city. Now, again, I'm going to pass on Val Kilmer's character for now because I want to talk about him a little bit later because there is just so much to delve into his character. Now, eventually, Wider starts to see that things are just getting too bad and they're getting too dangerous, so he decides to join. And it all kind of comes together during the gunfight at the OK Corral. If you know anything about kind of movies or history, you've probably heard the term OK Corral before. It's either been in songs or other movies or literature, things like that. So you probably have heard about the term OK Corral. And during that, a couple of the cowboy members end up dying. And some of the members of the Herb clan get shot. They don't get severe, severely shot. One gets, uh, one gets shot in the hand. One gets shot in the shoulder. Sorry, one gets shot in the leg. One gets shot in the shoulder. So it's not awful. It's not horrible. But, um, but it still is pretty bad. And because of this, the cowboy clan decides to retaliate. And one night, unsuspecting, they come in and they just tear up. 
they just tear up shop. They just go through it and they just wreck shop like crazy. And I won't go into too much about what happens after that simply because I want you to go and see it. Now, this is probably about halfway through through the film. So I've really given you a sense of halfway of what the movie, what half of, about half the movie is. There's still a whole other half that I'm not going to go too much in depth because I really want you to go and see it. And I really want you to still be surprised without me kind of telling you everything. Now, again, I want to talk about Val Kilmer. He is incredible in this film as Doc Holliday. He's sick the whole time because he's suffering from tuberculosis, but he doesn't let that stop him. And just his character, he kind of plays like a Southern dandy, but the most badass Southern dandy you've ever seen. And just the way he talks, the way he brings up, I'll be a huckleberry, bad, bad impression, but just the way he talks and the lines he uses. Every time he's on screen, you just want to you just want to watch him. You've got other characters like Bill Paxton, Kurt Russell, and Sam Elliott there with him, but you really just want to watch Val Kilmer and see what he does. So because he, he's so he's so magnetic in this, you want to talk like him. Coming out of this, you really you kind of you kind of pick up a few of his words, and you're like, yes, that's like I want to talk a little bit like that. Give it give it a day, and you won't be able to because it's not how people talk talking Canada but um, you realize that this character is is great this character is is my favorite character of this movie he was incredible he was so fun um, his character was redeeming uh, his arc his his just his arc and where this character went and what this character had to go through was incredible incredible when you watch this you think how did how did how did nobody talk to talk this up you always hear about when people talk about westerns they bring up a whole bunch and then they talk about you know tombstone was good as well but but you rarely ever hear people talk about val kilmer's portrayal of doc holiday seriously just just if, if even if you're not interested in westerns at all just watch it to watch val kilmer's performance it is absolutely incredible and i can't say that enough he's so much fun to watch um the music in it is again one of the great one of the best things I love. That's that's probably my favorite thing about westerns. I think westerns have some of the best music out there. It is orchestral, loud, energizing. You feel pumped after you listen to a western score. The mag- the theme song to Magnificent 7 is one of my top 3 favorite scores of all time just how it starts how it builds where it slows down the instruments that are used you get a sense of you get a sense of power and openness when you listen to a really good western score some people say a lot of people will say that they don't like a million ways to die in the west which i get it i see the criticism i actually enjoy it because i like seth mcfarland's work but the soundtrack is an, is amazing. The soundtrack to that is one of the best Western soundtracks. And I'll go into a little bit more later on. Um, actually, you know what? Why not? Let's just go into it now. Uh, when you talk about Western soundtracks, you're talking about Ennio, Ennio Morricone. Uh, wow, 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 wow. You know that. Good, the bad, and the ugly. Even if you haven't seen the film, which... 
I'm gonna admit to people today that I haven't seen that movie. It's on my list. It's on my list of movies I want to see. And it's really when you talk talk about Western music, he's he's the godfather of it. Everybody everybody always talks about how when you're talking about Western movies, it's his music, his spaghetti Western music. And just in this, it's, it doesn't have a lot of music in it. And if you're not paying attention to the music, you can, it can kind of slip by you into Tombstone. But the main theme takes the Western kind of sound and brings a little bit more Victorian, Victorian to it. Um, a little more high class to it. And I really like it. I really like the music. Another great thing about this movie is it, it, it's about two hours. It's just over two hours long and it's paced so well. You always feel like the characters are growing. You always feel like something is happening. You always feel like, okay, it may be a slow time now, but within a minute or two, something is going to happen. You really have to focus on this movie or you're going to get lost. You're not going get, to get, get lost in it, but um, if you don't focus enough on this movie, you're going to get lost in the scenes, and you're going to forget some of the stuff that ha- happened before because you're like, oh my God, this scene is so impactful, and you're like, wait, wait a minute, the scene from five minutes ago was like that, the scene from 10 minutes ago was like that, the scene from 15 minutes ago was like that, 20 minutes, half an hour, and you get a, you, you really never feel like, okay, this is the part that drags on. You know, a lot of movies have that kind of scene where, okay, now, you know, we're starting to drag on. It's the build from the opening to the apex. There's parts of that build that build up that you're like, okay, now we're in the kind of slower build. This, you don't feel that. You feel like you're always in the mood. You feel like you're always growing. You're always moving fast. And um, you always feel like just around the corner, something big is going to happen. So that is me talking about Tombstone. And I have to admit, I really want people to see this movie. I've had it kind of for a while now on my backburner. I've always been interested in it. Uh, I recently watched the documentary, uh, a score or score, uh, a, f- a film music documentary, and they were talking about Morricone in it. And I kind of got, got this sense like, you know what? I really want to watch a Western movie. So I threw this on because I'm like, I heard it's good. And it is. It is really good. I highly recommend Tombstone to everybody out there. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Western genre as a whole because um, I have this kind of, I guess, nostalgic romance for Western movies. In uh, today's day and age where things are moving so fast and everything is... Every day you get it, you're getting technological advances. People are coming up with new crazy ideas to do everything. I mean, the phrase there's an app for that is becoming so common now that it's part of it's it's you say that more than you say hello to people almost. That when you look back at these old or these films that kind of represent an older, more simpler time, there's kind of this, as I said, there's this romance of I wish a part of me could experience that. Just the simplicity of it, just the, you know, you wake up when the sun rises and you, you finish work, you wake up when the sun rises, you finish work when the sun goes down, you spend the rest of the evening just kind of doing whatever you want, and then you just do it all again. There's there's something rom- romantic about that. Um, 
that just makes me kind of wish I could experience that, you know? Um, I don't want to, you know, who knows, maybe one day we'll get so advanced that Westworld will actually become a thing uh, and I'll be able to go and experience what it was like living in the West firsthand, uh, which would actually be really cool. Now, I don't want killer robots coming after me, but I would like to experience the West as a whole just for just for a, a change. I think it'd be great. Um, some of my favorite Western movies, and I'm going to start off with one that doesn't get a lot of love, but I I love it. It's Maverick. It's um, Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster, and basically what it is, it's him. He has to raise enough money to get into this poker game, and I think it's fun. I think it's great. Anytime I, I need, I want like a Western feel, but I want like a good kind of fun, I throw on, on Maverick. I think Maverick is loads of fun. If you haven't seen it, which not a lot of people have, I don't think, or at least people I talk, talk to don't seem to have seen it, but if you get a chance, Maverick, loads of fun. Um, Unforgiven. Unforgiven is known as one of the best modern westerns, and that's a movie that I saw probably, oh geez, maybe two years ago, and I still think about it every once in a while because it's a movie that you can you can say there's a twist ending, but it's not a twist ending because it's more of a new realization ending. You go through this whole movie thinking one thing. And then as you creep closer to the end, you start to think like, wait a minute, this is this is something completely different um, than what I thought. And I still think about it today. I don't know if it's one of my favorite movies, but it keeps trying to crawl into that part of my brain. Um, another one in the realm of fun is The Quick and the Dead early Leonardo DiCaprio and it's just about uh, a town that has a gunfighting contest again another movie with a huge crowd Sharon Stone Sharon Stone is the lead in this one and uh, again a lot of fun a lot of early early actors that are pretty big today um, or have been big for a while were in it um, the classic Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid you know, the uh, the two of them kind of uh, going at it. Great ending. The original, well, I've seen both Magnificent Sevens, but uh, the original one is obviously the one that you have to go to again, that, that theme song. And what's great is that that theme song pops in like, f- like three or four times during the movie. So when you hear it once, you're like, oh, that's really good. That's, that's great. I, I, I kind of want to hear it again. And you don't have to go back and rewatch the film to hear because it it'll pop pop in another few times, and uh, you'll be like, "Yes, yes, let's go." And uh, it also has a gentleman with one of the best names, one of the greatest actors of all times, but one of the best names to say because when you say it, you just feel so proper and feel so up, upper class. And it's Yul Brenner. Just that name alone just makes you want to say it. Yul Brenner, Yul Brenner. You just you just want to. I don't know great name fantastic name um i haven't seen the original but i do love the cohen brothers because i'm a big fan of the cohen brothers i'll probably do uh, a podcast about them at some point because uh, they're one of if not my favorite director directors i guess you can say say at this point the true grit um Haley steinfeld's first role but again another movie with tremendous actors 
Um, now we're going to talk, let's talk about Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is, um, is a movie that, and I heard this phrase the other day, and, I th- and I'm going to start using this phrase a lot. Uh, not a lot, but just on movies that I couldn't quantify before. There's a lot of mo- a lot of stuff in it that is funny. Mel Brooks, and Mel Brooks, you know what? Mel Brooks movies might be my next podcast I might do. I might do them on a couple of Mel Brooks movies and just my impact on, on or Mel Brooks' impact on me. But um, Blazing Saddles is one of those movies that I think I respect more than I enjoy. And I enjoy it, but... I prefer a lot of his other movies. I think Blazing Saddles, to me, has a lot of great bits. You can take a single scene from Blazing Saddles, and you can just watch that scene, and you can die laughing. And I think that's the thing that connects with me more than the movie as a whole. I think because of the time it was created... And the time we live in now, the purpose of the satire, and I'm not going to repeat it on here. You'll have to see it for yourself. But I think the purpose for that satire um, doesn't connect with me as much just because, um, like, these people in this movies are extremely racist, like, super racist. And that's one of the fun of it. And that's one of the fun parts, uh, just how he takes on it. And uh, I think because of the world I live in and how I was raised, I don't connect with that part as much. But the humor that it comes from, um, I think I enjoy the humor more than the purpose in the story. And I understand the purpose but I think the humor connects with me a lot more. Um, Like when they're trying to convince the KKK members to come over so they can beat them up and steal their hoods and he jumps out and he goes, where are the white women at? You know, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of funny. I like, you know, in in the context that that it was, it was funny. There's a lot of good bits. Uh, The ending in it though, the ending is the, the last battle is hilarious. It's, it, it redeems the whole movie for me. I think that ending, I could watch that ending, that ending battle and just where it goes and literally where it goes um, really can make that whole, mo- whole movie for me. I could watch that ending multiple times. Uh, so that is basically my take on Western films and some of the Western films that I've seen. I want to watch more of them. I don't feel like I know enough about the Western genre. There's a lot of movies that I haven't seen Um and the easiest place to start is looking at some of the John Ford films and the Sergio, Sergio Leone films. Uh, the Sergio Le- Leone films, you know, you can focus on the Man with No Name trilogy, um, A Fistful of Dollars, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and I think it's The Man with No Name is the third one. I always forget the third one. Um, and then John Ford films, you know, the, sur- the, the Searchers. I think High Noon. Did he do High Noon? And Shane? I don't know. But I know he did The Searchers. And The Sur- Searchers is considered not only one of the best Western films, but a, a movie that a lot of um, other genres kind of took from 
uh, for its for its says cinematography. So that's kind of where I want to start. I want to start. I want to get more into those two film, those two directors and their films, to really experience some of the other um, westerns that are out there. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening to episode two. And uh, again, not sure what I'll do for the next one. I actually really like that idea of doing Mel Brooks. So I might do a Mel Brooks one for my next one. And that'll be it. And I'll see you at the next screening. <laughs>